We're going to share our views on food. We'll share our personal experiences. We'll give you testimonials from others who have changed their lives just by changing the food on their plate. And we'll give you the science, the studies, experiments, and conclusions that form the basis for all of our recommendations. And then we'll say, don't just take our word for it. We're going to teach you how to turn yourself into a scientific experiment of one so you can figure it out for yourself once and for all whether the foods you are eating are making you more healthy or less healthy. And that's worth more than any scientific findings you read about because there hasn't been a single scientific experiment that includes you as a subject. Until now. Welcome back to Zoo Notable. That quote is from It Starts With Food by Melissa Hartwig and Dallas Hartwig. We're studying a slightly different book this week, although it is a topic I've discussed before with Food Rules by Michael Pollan and Intuitive Eating. And there are links to those episodes in the description of this one. And It Starts With Food explores the ins and outs for those who are curious about the Whole30 program. That's an elimination and reset program that helps you create a lifestyle of eating whole, healthy foods. The book goes into depth into the reasons the creators chose to eliminate certain foods and discusses how and why we have used food in unhealthy ways. Now, before I dive in, I do want to say that I fully support the idea that there is no the way in finding a healthy and sustainable eating lifestyle, even with Whole30. In fact, I don't particularly like the Whole30 methodology, which we'll discuss in a few minutes. But just because I don't like some of the practices doesn't mean that one, it won't work for you or for someone else, or two, that there isn't some wisdom to be distilled from reading the book. Actually, quite the contrary. I got a lot of really, really helpful information by reading It Starts With Food. That all being said, listen to this note with a grain of salt. Take what resonates with you and leave the rest. If there's some information that you feel might help you out, you can check the book out or maybe even try Whole30 yourself. But for now, let's take a bite out of the book that started the movement, Dallas and Melissa Hartwig's It Starts With Food. Big idea number one, food should make you healthy. Quote, the food you eat either makes you healthy or less healthy. Those are your options. The food that we eat should promote a healthy psychological response, promote a healthy hormonal response, support a healthy gut, support immune function, and minimize inflammation. These are the four good food standards. They're written in this order for a reason, because we think that this is generally how things start to go wrong. First, you overconsume nutrient-poor foods because of their psychological effect on you. Overconsumption and the kinds of foods you tend to overconsume then leads to hormonal, gut, and immune system disruption, and all the symptoms, conditions, and diseases that may follow. The following chapters will lay a groundwork for the discussion on food and make it that much easier for you to understand why we will be asking you to remove certain foods from your plate. All right, folks, so the food we eat can either make us more or less healthy. And Dallas and Melissa outline what making us healthy looks like. And unfortunately, what they say is healthy isn't how most of us eat. The modern American diet or the standard American diet is basically making us mad, 
and sad. The first seven chapters are dedicated to how food should work for us and how our current way of eating is working against us. Now, for instance, in chapter five, while discussing how foods affect our hormones, the authors tell us, when you chronically overconsume food with no breaks, it floods your system with glucose. With sugar in such large supply, it is burned first for energy, which means fat takes a metabolic backseat and accumulates. And then there's chapter seven when they discuss inflammation. They say, an overworked, out of balance immune system is very unhealthy. If certain factors, like your food choices, are overloading your immune system with too many tasks, it's going to be less effective at doing its main job, and something is going to be left undone, or done ineffectively, like fighting off that bug that's going around, or healing that stubborn tendonitis, or keeping your arteries clear of plaque. Now, like Hipp Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. But let's be honest, we aren't quite living that way anymore. Now, even doctors aren't working that way anymore, at least most of the modern practitioners that I've recently met. It wasn't until I left the conventional path that, and found someone who wanted to help me discover the foods that will help me heal and make, my, and make me healthy that I found a true way of eating. So what is the best foods to eat that make you healthy? And what are the foods that will make you unhealthy that we should avoid? Well, that is more or less up to you. And it does bring us to big idea number two. Nutritional studies are still new and evolving. Quote, many of these nutritional theories aren't as rock solid as, say, the theory of gravity. There is still a lot of scientific community doesn't know about food, nutrition, and health, which means that for every finding we present, you can consult the source of all knowledge, aka the internet, and find studies that suggest the opposite. All right, folks, so nutrition and diets, and I don't when I say diets, I don't mean the societal use of the word, but the actual term meaning food that you consume on a regular basis. These two are very personal and individualized explorations. There, as I said before, there is no the way when it comes to nutrition. And any diet that tells you to eat one specific way is frankly wrong, even Whole30. The authors do kind of toe the line between saying their recommended way of eating is best and then encouraging to figure it out for yourself. And I'll admit it's sometimes tricky for those of us who aren't experts in the field to figure this out for ourselves. The fact is we've only begun to scratch the surface in understanding nutritional needs and food relationships with our bodies. Michael Pollan reminds us in his book, Food Rules, that we are in the studying nutrition where medical professionals were in studying the human body in the 1600s. We were on our way of making great breakthroughs, but you probably didn't want someone performing surgery in you quite yet. So when you're reading these quote-unquote scientific evidence or research, do so cautiously. For every paper that tells you eating grains is unhealthy, there are likely two or three papers that will tout the health benefits of adding it to your diet. Now on that end, you can't just distrust everything you read. There's only so much you can do, and following every piece of advice it's ridiculous and it's impossible. So do what you can with the information you have. Do your own research and then make the best decision for you 
and your situation. And remember, you are your body's best expert and best advocate. If it works for you, great. If it's not working, it doesn't matter how many experts tell you that you should do something, it's not for you. Before we continue with our Zoo Notable, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. I couldn't do these Notables without them. So we'll be right back after these messages. Big idea number three, our unhealthy relationship with food is like a drug. Quote, you struggle with food cravings, bad habits, compulsions, and addictions. You know you shouldn't, but you feel compelled to eat these foods. Sometimes you don't even want to eat them, but you eat them anyway, and you have a hard time stopping. All of which makes you feel guilty and stressed, and more likely to comfort yourself with even more unhealthy food. We're not trying to say the choices that you make aren't your own, or that you don't have any responsibility for your current health status. But what you have to understand is that these unhealthy foods have an unfair advantage. They are designed to mess with your brain. They are built to make you crave them. They make it hard for you to give them up. Now, as I was writing this note, I just felt like I could just make this whole section a series of quotes from It Starts With Food to drive the point home about how a lot of our food messes with our brain. And the first good food standard is that the food we eat should promote a healthy psychological response. It should help us get all the wheels turning, should fire up our brain rather than creating brain fog, and and it should satisfy us without feeling like we need more to continue feeling good. That is like sugar does with the sugar or energy spike and then the hard crashes. Dallas and Melissa talk about reasons why they ask us to remove certain foods from our plate for 30 days. An addictive food like sugar, processed foods, and a lot of certain grains are exactly what they're talking about. They say the first foods that fail our first good food standard are those that promote an unhealthy psychological response. These foods light up pleasure, reward, and emotional pathways in the brain offering super stimulating flavors without providing the nutrition that nature intended. These are foods with no breaks, promoting overconsumption and the inability to control your cravings, habits, and behaviors. Typically, if you reach for these foods when you're stressed, in a bad mood, or even as a celebration of reward, they are likely foods that trigger overconsumption and keep on our addictive relationship with them. And trust me, I get it. Stress makes it even harder for us to resist our cravings. Now, as the authors write, and it starts with food, when you are under stress, the urge to pleasure eat is strong, and you are far more likely to overeat. Stress also causes you to change the type of foods you eat, moving away from healthier choices towards more highly palatable foods that are sweet, salty, and high in fat. Who craves grilled chicken and steamed broccoli when they're not having a good day? And when you finally inevitably indulge, one thing is true. Eating sugary, salty, fatty foods makes you feel less stressed. Now, what you have to understand, though, is that it is strictly in the moment. Because over the long term, our bodies, and especially our minds, don't feel less stressed. 
We want more of the pleasure foods, and our bodies work overtime processing it, and it weakens our immune function and increases inflammation. Now, it is impossible to eliminate all stress from our lives. And again, there are some instances where stress is actually good for us when we don't want to eliminate it. But we can mitigate the negative impact stress can cause by cutting out foods that play into an unhealthy stress response. Develop a healthy relationship between the food you eat and your brain. Now, through consistent and deliberate practice, we can start creating connection between the food we eat being right for us and feeling good, more focus, more energy, better sleep, less pain, less inflammation. Then our brain actually starts to crave the good stuff and our addiction to the super stimulating foods that promote overconsumption fades away. And how do we do this? Well, that's big idea number four. 100% is easier than 99. Quote, start eating healthy is far more difficult challenge to wrap your head around than eat no sugar, alcohol, grains, legumes, or dairy in any form whatsoever for 30 days. That sounds like baloney, right? How can giving up all of these fantastic foods possibly be easier than quote unquote eating healthier and just trying to reduce our intake? Well, here's how Dallas and Melissa put it. They say, resist the urge to classify your overall diet in numerical terms. I eat 90% healthy or I follow the 80-20 rule. First, it's a bit like scheduling a cheat day. You're practically setting yourself up to eat less healthy foods a set percentage of the time. But more importantly, what does that number even mean? If you're 80-20, does that mean that one out of every five foods on your plate is less healthy? Or that every fifth meal is a highly processed sugar, fat, and salt bomb? In addition, the food that makes up 20% of is critical importance. If those off-plan foods are peas, hummus, and corn tortillas, that's totally different than off-plan cookies, pizza, and dirty margaritas. Long story short, don't paint yourself into a corner with meaningless numbers or percentages. Again, I know it sounds harsh, but the Whole30 program does not allow cheat days, cheat meals, or that one special food allowance. When you plan on breaking from your healthy way of eating, you're basically setting yourself up to fail. It just keeps telling your brain that healthy eating is temporary or not the way you want to eat, and it maintains that unhealthy relationship with food by periodically reinforcing what the brain is craving. Uh, Animal training experts will say two things about this concept. One, we hold our animals to strict criteria, that whole idea of do or not do, there is no try, because it's actually easier for the animal to understand a consistent standard than the concept of try. And second, experienced trainers know that a varied schedule of reinforcement is the strongest and most resistant to extinction, meaning the behavior won't fade away. So if you periodically reward craving foods that don't serve your health, you're actually keeping the craving stronger each time. The animal mind tells us, well, if we just keep this behavior up, we will eventually get what we want. And the author of It Starts With Food used this process of extinction to quote unquote slay the sugar dragon. 
They say, so what do you eat when you find yourself battling the sugar dragon? Anything but the sweet stuff. You can't battle the sugar dragon outright. The only way to slay it is to starve it. So consciously avoid foods that may prop up your sugar cravings. If you are legitimately hungry, reach for protein and fat. And how do you tell if it's a craving or actual hunger? Simply ask yourself, am I hungry enough to eat steamed fish and broccoli? If the answer is no, then you're not really hungry. You've just got a craving. Go for a walk, phone a friend, or drink a glass of water and write it out. But if the answer is yes, then you're definitely hungry. So eat something. And finally, big idea number five, what I feel Whole30 gets wrong. Quote, science and our experience show that baby steps and moderation simply aren't effective at changing your habits long term. Despite what you may believe, habit research shows that dramatic changes are actually easier for us to manage, both physically and psychologically. Making small changes or baby-stepping the process keeps every decision in the frontal lobe of your brain, in effort territory. Simply limiting sugar, I'm only going to have one sweet treat per day, leads to incessant battles of willpower, continued cravings, and small sugar hits, which keeps your brain focused on sugar. When faced with the offer of a cookie, your decision-making process is extensive and painful. Should I eat this? Is this what I want for my one treat? Maybe just today I'll have two treats. But by committing to eliminate all added sugar, you've taken it out of the equation and made that decision more automatic, which makes it easier to continue that behavior until it becomes a habit. When faced with the same cookie offer, your decision-making process is easier. Thanks, but I don't eat that. Once again, this kind of goes back with big idea number four, but the idea of making your eating lifestyle an experiment really does speak to me. And I totally get why you would want to spend 30 days resetting your body by eliminating historically problematic foods and food groups that often provoke overconsumption. But temporarily avoiding foods as a reset and cutting out all these foods out of your life in one go are two different things. Now, I personally disagree that baby steps are not effective. Um, that's literally the only way I've seen progress stick long term. Training animals takes hundreds of baby steps. And look what we're able to accomplish with that. And from a behavioral researcher's point of view, huge dramatic changes aren't easier or more sustainable. This is why more than 75% of people who do Whole30 don't change their lives they just do the program once and typically go back to their normal way of eating because it's not sustainable to make that huge of a change. But here is what is easier. The bright line of absolutely no sugar versus less sugar. Now again, saying 100% no to sugar is easier than less sugar, but I prefer the baby step aspect of focusing on eliminating sugar and only the sugar before tackling all flour, all legumes, all dairy, and then all processed food. Each one is a bright line and is considerably a dramatic change, but each one on its own feels better and more sustainable than going at it all at once. Now, Whole30's reintroduction schedule is another issue that I kind of have. The Whole30 wants you to introduce whole food groups each day of your reintroduction period. And here's the problem with that. 
if I have an issue with cow's milk but not whey, I won't know the difference because I've tested all of them together. Now, recently I took a food sensitivity test and it shared that garbanzo beans and soybeans were healthy legumes for me, but lima beans, pinto, and kidney beans were not. And if I tested them according to Whole30 standards, I wouldn't know chickpeas could be a viable option for me as a vegetarian. One final issue with Whole30 is that it's basically the antithesis of intuitive eating, which states that there should not be any off-limits foods. I struggle with the harmony of honoring what my body truly wants to eat, syncing my cycle with foods that will nourish and fuel me, and then eliminating the foods that don't serve me. I do have certain standards that I think intuitive eating would probably frown upon. That is eliminating palm oil from my diet, the high fructose corn syrup, and processed foods that are wrapped in single-use plastic. But even Whole30 doesn't even get my reasoning here either, because those, while these choices are healthy for me, they are more centered around their environmental impact. And despite these differences in opinion, I really do value Whole30 for their approach by making us the head researchers and discovering what is our optimal diet. Again, not the mainstream idea of diets, but as an eating lifestyle. As far as many naysayers, I don't think that eliminating foods for 30 days is that extreme. You know what is extreme? Getting your foot amputated because you have diabetes or having a triple bypass because of heart disease. Now, can Whole30 change your life? Perhaps. The one thing I definitely agree with the authors, our health and well-being are in our hands. It takes a lot of factors. That is optimal sleep exercise, drinking water, but nutrition is one of the fastest ways we can see a change in our fitness. And it all starts with food. Well, there you have it. It starts with food by Dallas and Melissa Hartwig. Uh, Let me know your thoughts. Are you going to try the whole 30? What are you excited about? What would, what would kind of hold you back a little bit? Let me know in the comments. And again, we're going to close up with a f- some several quotes. These are some other ideas from It Starts With Food that really resonated with me, but they didn't quite make the cut for my big ideas. Dallas and Melissa Hartwig say, at one of our nutrition workshops after the section on artificial sweeteners, a lovely woman shyly raised her hand and asked, but if I can't sweeten my strawberries with Splenda, how do I make them taste sweet? Bless her heart. (laughs) Folks, if if you need a sweetener to make strawberries taste sweet, you are being taken by the food industry. They also say one person's healthy and balanced may be another person's. I really need to clean things up. They tell us where you draw the line and which foods you crave will likely change as the years go on. Sure, we'll go on a limb and say that 99% of the time, treat equals processed or sugary food or drink. But with time and the reinforcement of your new habits, tastes, and awareness, your perception of what constitutes a treat will evolve. We are not saying that you can never eat any sugar or drink any alcohol ever again. We simply want you to make an educated decision about food. We don't want you justifying your choices with marketing pitches or telling yourself 
that because it's gluten-free, low-carb, or heart-healthy, it's a perfectly fine choice. They ask us, how many times have you tried a new plan, bought new foods, and stuck with the new menu for a few weeks only to fall right back into your old habits? Want to know why your previous efforts have failed? Dieting doesn't work. Melissa and Dallas remind us, remember when you learned to drive a car? In the beginning, you had to think about everything. Which pedal was the gas? Which lever was the turn signal? And what to do when the light turned yellow? But now you drive practically on autopilot without exerting effort thinking about your pedals, the steering wheel, or your signals. The act of driving has progressed from a series of conscious decisions to a habitual set of behaviors. You don't even have to think about it. It's just what you do. This is so true. Our habits get easier and more automatic. You just keep at it and you've got this. They tell us don't even consider the possibility of a slip. Unless you physically trip and your face lands in a box of donuts, there's no such thing as a slip. You make a choice to eat something unhealthy. It's always a choice. So don't talk as if you had an accident. Own it. Commit to the program 100% for the full 30 days. Don't give yourself an excuse to fail before you've even started. They say, here's what matters, the way an animal was raised and the food it was fed. Remember the old adage, you are what you eat? We like to take that one step further, borrowing a clever turn of the phrase from author Michael Pollan. You are what what you eat eats. The food industry has turned real food into frankenfood. These frankenfoods are ridiculously cheap to produce. They are naturally electrifying to our taste buds. They contain little, if any, nutrition, and they mess with our brains in a major way. Dallas and Melissa tell us, while we are all born with a certain code, we are also born with switches that tell that code what to do. Our environmental input, that is our diet, exercise, air quality, etc., activates those switches. Think about it this way. Genetics loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. You generally don't develop diabetes, high blood pressure, or heart disease simply because of a defective gene or a familial dis- predisposition. And finally, They tell us conventional vegetables and fruit are better than no vegetables and fruits. Do the best you can with what you've got. That is, again, it starts with food. The food you eat either makes you more healthy or less healthy. Those are your two options.